How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Can you say amen? All right. You know, it's interesting. We got a little bit of a smaller night tonight uh, because of the Children's Church program, the, um, the VBS. As my wife said, we've got about 40 people from Living Hope that would typically be in the Living Hope service that are serving the children. And so I think it's a wonderful thing that we're having a little bit of a smaller night tonight. Uh, but also, you know, as I was thinking, as, as we were singing, and, and one of the things I really took joy in during the worship time is that because we don't have drums and bass and everything up here, I could actually hear the voices behind me. I could hear everyone singing. And, and you know, I was thinking about it. I was thinking that, that the days are going to come when we'll look back on these smaller services and reminisce. And I was thinking about my daughter, you know, when we first brought her home from the hospital, she was so little, you know, so tiny and so little. And now she's running around and she's about to turn three years old. And I, I remember back to those times when she was so little. I go, oh, you know, I just, I remember with joy those little times, you know, when she was so small and the things she used to do and say, look at old videos of, you know, when she was first learning to talk and there were these things she would do with her head. You know, you know, and and then I think I think, you know, every night when I'm putting her to sleep or when it's my turn, unless it's my wife's turn. But when I'm putting her to sleep, I think, you know, I'm going to remember the days. You know, last night I felt like I had to rock her forever. And I thought, oh, Lord, I'm going to rock her all night long. Like I was getting so irritated and I thought I thought just go to sleep. You know, I was so, I just wanted to say that to her, like, hurry up, <laughs> you know, driving me crazy. And I thought, you know, at the rate we're going, she's going to be 16 years old, still needing to be rocked to sleep. You know, that was kind of the thought I had. But then the second thought I had was, no, that's actually not true. Who knows how long this is going to last? She might hit three and say, that's enough, Daddy, no more rocking. I'm going to go to sleep. In other words, the day's going to come when this is going to be done. And I'm going to look back on it and remember. And I'm going to say to her, remember when Daddy used to rock you to sleep? Remember that? Remember those small days? And as I was just kind of having that, those thoughts, I just felt the pleasure of the Lord over this gathering tonight. Like the Lord was saying, I am going to look back in the days to come and remember when you were this small and take delight. Remember when you used to have a service with like 20, 30 people in there? <laughs> you know, remember those days when you were that small, when you could all fit in the overflow room? <laughs> you know what I mean? You remember that? You remember that little tiny sanctuary you had? You could only fit 130 people and you couldn't even fill it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You remember that? You remember those services? When the service would start, you could throw a rock and hit nobody. <laughs> you could drive a Sherman tank through the sanctuary and nobody would get hurt. You remember those days, you know? Yeah, yeah, we remember it. We remember. Now you're all grown up, you know? And so I just sense the pleasure of the Lord and... Uh, I know that the Lord is doing a wonderful thing. I want to ask you a question. The question I have for you tonight is, what was the fundamental gift that God gave Adam when he created him? If you could think of one skill, one ability, one gift that God gave Adam, what was Adam's primary form of consciousness? What was he connected to more than anything else? Since we have a smaller room, I can ask for your feedback. Come on, take a wild guess. 
not that hard. It's not a, it's not a theological question. Was that his primary level of consciousness, the animals? God. Adam's fundamental ability was the ability to hear God's voice and to see God. And I've made this point again and again and again, and I'll keep making it again and again and again because we've misunderstood what it means to be a human being. When, at, when God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, man became a living soul at that moment. And what, when Adam opened his eyes, his first moment of animation, where was he? Facing a tree? A lion? A tiger? A river? The first thing he saw was not the physical world. The first thing he saw was God. The first thing he heard was not a bubbling brook or the sound of nature. It wasn't an animal. It was God. His first line of consciousness to be a human being in that moment, the only thing Adam could think was, I see God and I hear his voice. And that's what it means to be human. God introduced Adam to the physical world. And God says, now, Adam, I'm going to introduce you to the physical world and I'm going to give you responsibilities in it, but recognize that your primary place of consciousness is you're conscious of me. Your primary place of intimacy is you're intimate with me. And when you turn your heart, when you turn to the physical world to serve me in it, be careful not to forget my voice. And so to be sure that you don't forget my voice and forget what I look like, I'm going to come walk with you every day in the cool of the day. And every day God would come at the appointed time. Adam, you didn't forget me, did you? You didn't forget me. Adam, remember what I told you yesterday? Remember what I told you? Remember what we talked about yesterday? Okay, I just want to make sure you remember. And God would take a walk with Adam in the garden. Adam and God would walk and talk. God came back every day to further increase and establish Adam in his ability to hear God's voice. If there is one ability that makes us human, it is the ability to hear the voice of God. And that's what Satan attacked. Eve, eat this fruit. No, 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 no. God said not to eat that. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? Are you sure? You know, when you're facing the material world and when you're looking at what we call the real world, when you're looking at your circumstances and situations that don't seem to line up with what God said, you're the, that's when the devil shows up and starts saying, did God really say that? Are you sure? What's, what Eve was not aware of is that in questioning her ability to hear God's voice, he was questioning her humanity. He was saying, are you really a human being? Or are you one of those animals out there in the field? Those animals don't hear God's voice. Are you really a human being? To be a human being means to be in intimate fellowship with God. It means to see Him and to hear Him. The animals don't get that. Are you sure? Because if, if the enemy can bring you into a place of confusion where I don't think God's ever spoken to me. You're just like the animals.
The in, Satan is trying to make you an animal. And he came to Eve in the form of an animal. A snake. To try to make her an animal. Here was an animal telling a human, you can't hear God's voice. He came in the form of some aspect of the material world, and there's always something in the material world that's telling you you can't hear God. Whenever he comes to tell you you can't hear God, he takes the form of something in your material world. He'll come in the form of your money. And say, here, spin, spin me on this. So, no, no, no. God said, I got to give a tithe. Did God really say that? He'll come in the form of sexual desire. Well, did God really say that? He'll come in the form of opportunity. Here, here's a great, no, no, no. God told me to do this. Well, are you sure God really told you that? Are you sure? Single people, he'll come in the form of a man that looks like a good thing. Only problem is he doesn't know Jesus. But did God really say he's got to know Jesus? Did God really say? As soon as the enemy can get you into the place of confusion then what he can do is focus your eyes on the material realm and suddenly you become conscious of the world and unconscious of God. So when Adam and Eve fell into that trap and ate the fruit, what was the first thing they saw? We're naked. We didn't even know we were naked because we never looked at ourselves. I was naked and unashamed, didn't know I was naked. Why? I was never looking at me. It was never about me. I was conscious of God, not myself. Self-consciousness is the opposite of God-consciousness. Because in the moment you're conscious of God, you can't be conscious of yourself anymore. You are lost in God. The moment Adam and Eve were disconnected from their God-consciousness, they were overtaken by self-consciousness, and they hid from each other, and they hid from God. I don't want you to see me, and I definitely don't want God to see me. They covered themselves up with fig leaves, and they hid behind a bush. And it started with the question, did God really say that? Are you sure you can hear from God? Can you hear from God? Has God ever spoken to you? Are you sure? How do you know it was God? How do you know it wasn't some pizza you ate? How do you know? You better get some confirmations on that. And don't get me don't get me wrong. I think confirmation is a good thing, but sometimes underneath confirmation is the simple unbelief and the simple demonic presupposition that you can't hear from God for yourself. Sometimes you know you don't need no confirmation. You're talking foolishness. Somebody sent me a text message and says, um, so I got an opportunity to date this unbeliever. What do you think? I didn't even respond. I said, you don't need a word from the Lord for that foolishness. You know better than that. You know. You, there are times when you know. I mean, you know beyond knowing. Beyond, you know with your knower. You know what the Lord is saying. You know what the Lord has said. But you're so connected to what you see in the material realm that your vision has been cast down 
And instead of looking upward, you're looking downward. And when you're looking downward, all you see is what's down here. And you've forgotten what God said. And now you're subject to discouragement and hopelessness. Do you know what discouragement is? It's amnesia. You forgot who you are. You have completely forgotten how powerful you are. You forgot. I mean, you got hit in the head so hard by the devil that you woke up in a, you woke, you can't, it's like coming out of a coma. Who am I? Does anybody know me? Who am, I mean, what, who am I? I have no, you are lost. You forgot who you are. And that's what has to happen for you to be discouraged. And to feel hopeless. You know, the other day my daughter came in the room and she has a puzzle with four pieces. And she's mastered that thing. It only takes her about, you know, three or four minutes to do it. Right? You know? And she takes that thing and she throws it down and the pieces fall and she turns it over. You know, and she's working that thing and turning it that way, and turn, and then suddenly she gets them to fit. To fit, yay! And and but she's got a bigger puzzle with like a couple hundred pieces, and she does. You know, she just throws that thing down. She just. I came in the room and shit. So the pieces of that puzzle were all over the floor. I mean, the pieces of that puzzle were everywhere. You know, some of you are standing and you're looking at your life and going, everything's so unclear. It's just so unclear. I can't. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm just so confused. I don't know what God wants from me or where I'm supposed to be. Everything's so unclear. You're like a little child standing in the room. It's not that it's unclear. It's just that you've taken the vision for your life and thrown it on the floor, and all of the puzzle pieces are everywhere. Stop feeling hopeless and discouraged and turn over that page and start picking up the pieces and putting it back together. It's clear. It's there. It's in the room with you. It's just in pieces you got to put it back together again. But in order to do that, you got to lift up your eyes. Tonight I want to talk to you about lifting up your eyes. you got to lift up your eyes. Really, you got to lift up your eyes back into the realm of your humanity. I'm telling you that we've been living like animals. And God wants us to become human beings again. We live so far beneath what it really means to be a human being. You know, the Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion. <laughs> you know, when a deer is drinking water and he hears a sound in the bushes, he's gone. He takes off. That's how most believers are. Just hear a little sound and I'm out. Peace. When a lion hears a rustle in the bushes, he thinks lunch. The deer hears it and thinks death. I'm out. The lion hears it and thinks, lunch, I'm hungry. The righteous are as bold as a lion. When you hear a sound, you should just believe that it's provision. Okay, so you got to lift up your eyes. Um, Abraham, well, at this time in Genesis 12, he was still Abram. He, He wasn't named Abraham yet, but he had the promise. Remember in chapter 12 of Genesis, God says to him, get up out of your father's house and go to the land that I'll show you and I'll make of you a great nation. 
I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So Abraham says, cool. He obeyed and went. Now we get to chapter 13. And the Bible tells us that uh, Lot and Abraham are dwelling together in the plain near Canaan. And uh, their flocks and herds were growing so big that there was quarreling between Abraham's men and Lot's men. And so Abraham t- Abram takes Lot aside and says, let's not quarrel, we're family. So I tell you what, the whole land is before us. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You pick. And Abram thought to himself, surely, you know, he's going to be fair in the way he chooses. You ever, you ever like put your destiny in somebody else's hands? You choose. And thinking he's, he's going to be fair. I mean, I know he's going to be fair. Right? I mean, you, you, your boss says, well, how much do you want to get paid? You said, well, you choose. You tell me. Your friend says, how much do I owe you? Well, whatever you want to give toward the bill is fine. Whatever you want to give toward the bill, I'll take it. You're going to get cheated. I just guarantee you at that moment, the moment you say, right? But when you're in your naive stage, you're thinking, well, he's going to be fair. You know, surely he's going to look and say, well, here's the good part over here. Why don't I take half the good part and you take the other half the good part? I mean, surely he's going to. And and Lot looked up and it said he looked eastward and saw that the plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord. And then he looked to the right and saw how janky it was. He's like, oh, nothing but hill country here. There's no water. He goes, I'll take the, the plain of the Jordan. I'll go to the east over here. You can have that desert parched area in the hills over there. How's that? And Abram goes, okay, all right. All right, that's cool. That's what you want. Okay, all right. Cool. And Lot goes, okay, come on, guys, let's go. And he takes all of his people over there, and he's inhabiting the whole plain of the Jordan. And Abram's thinking, that little rascal. I just got the shaft. He just gave me the short end of the stick. I just got cheated. Do you realize that when you operate under the blessing of the Lord, that when you are a servant of the Lord, you can't be cheated? No one who resides under the blessing can get the short end of the stick. If you ever find yourself saying, they screwed me. If you ever find yourself saying that, you know you've just moved out of the realm of faith and into the realm of unbelief, out of the spirit and into the flesh, because can't nobody screw you when you're servants of the Lord. But sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Sometimes it feels like it. Now watch this. God looks down and he sees that Abram is still immature in the blessing. Still hasn't been fully established in the promise. He received the promise. But this life situation made it seem like something opposite of the promise was happening. God said, you're blessed and you're going to get the best. And Lot said, I'll take the best and leave you with the worst. His life situation said the opposite. And he was tempted to be discouraged, but God comes to him. Look at this, verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are. 
Lift your eyes now, Abram. You're looking too low. You're looking at this one situation where you feel like Lot gave you the shaft. Lift your eyes. Look higher than you're looking. Abram, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes above the situation and get your eyes back onto the promise. Remember, just a chapter ago, I gave you a promise. And this little episode with Lot has not nullified the promise. So lift your eyes. Your eyes are looking too low. And look at the command. He says, lift your eyes now. Not later, now. Not after you're done with this little cry, now. Not after you're done feeling sorry for yourself, now. No, not later, now. Lift your eyes, now. Quit pouting and quit crying and quit acting like something terrible happened to you. Lift your eyes, now, and look from the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward, which includes where Lot was, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. God says, Abram, get your eyes above the circumstance and get it on to the promise. What do you have for me? The promise. What is the circumstance saying? Did God really say that? Are you sure God is giving you the whole land? Because it seems like Lot just took the best of it. Are you sure? Did God really say that? You know what tends to happen? We leave pieces to the puzzle behind us on the ground because it just looks like it doesn't fit with this situation. Pieces of the promise. How many promises has God given you that you've dropped somewhere and left lying around? If you would go home and look under your bed, you would see promises of God that have been collecting dust for years and for decades. You've forgotten about it. You've let it go because you didn't think it fit in with some situation. And you left it back there in 1997. Go back and pick up the pieces. Lift your eyes now. God says, Abram, lift your eyes now. Get your eyes above the place where you stand. We see God saying the same thing to Abram's grandson, Jacob. Jacob, God comes to him. Remember, he is running from his brother Esau, who wants to kill him because he swindled him out of the birthright and out of the blessing. And he's in the, in the desert and he goes to sleep on a hard place. He used a rock for a pillow. Not very comfortable. He went to sleep thinking this is the worst possible situation I could be in. But in his sleep, he has a dream that a door opens in the heavens. A stairway comes down and touches down on the earth. Angels of God are ascending and descending. And God is standing at the top of the stairway. And God says to him, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. And I'm not going to leave you until I fulfill my good purpose for you. God is making promises to Jacob in the desert. And he woke up in the desert and said, how awesome is this place? He went to sleep in the desert saying, how terrible in this is this place? But he woke up saying, how awesome is this place? And he said, this is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And then he erected a pillar, a rock, and poured oil on it and said, this is Bethel, which means the house of God. Then he goes to Laban's house, and Laban is his uncle. And he falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. Right? Yes. Falls in love with Rachel. 
I'm sorry. I get pieces mixed up sometimes. My wife is here to save my, save my, my face. And, uh, and, and so uh, he goes to Laban and says, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. He says, sure, just work for me for seven years. He said, no problem. Now, she was fine. That, that girl was fine because for him to say, I'm going to work seven years to marry her, he was, man, that brother was smitten. Only problem was the morning after the wedding night, he realized it wasn't Rachel in his bed. It was, yeah, Leah. And the King James Version was nice to her and said she was tender-eyed. My mama would have said she was cock-eyed. Come on, somebody. We got to keep it real. I mean, think, come on, you got to keep it real. Imagine you're Jacob and you wake up the morning after your wedding night with your bride's cock-eyed sister. You're thinking, I just got the shaft. Laban, you did me wrong. And he says, well, it wasn't right for Rachel to get married first. Her sister's older. You should have told me that seven years ago. You let me work seven years and then tell me that? He says, well, you can marry her sister Rachel too for another seven years. He says, cool. He works another seven years. He marries Rachel. During that seven years, Laban treated him so bad, changed his wages ten times, and then was planning to send him away with nothing. And so God says to him, all right, here's what you're going to do. We don't know that yet, but first Jacob goes to Laban and says, all right, I'll tell you what, at least a few of these are mine, right? And he says, yes. He says, okay, I'll tell you what, Um, when they're born, the speckled ones belong to me and the clean ones belong to you. He says, okay, cool. All of the babies are speckled. The strong ones? No, the speckled ones and the streaked ones, right? And they're the strong ones, right? The speckled ones are the strong ones. So Laban was upset. So he said, all right, here's another batch. The streaked ones belong to me. And the clear ones belong to you. Laban goes, all right, let's do it. They all come out streaked. Within two generations, all of Laban's flocks and herds now belong to Jacob. And Laban was now the one saying, I got the shaft. Now look at this. Genesis chapter 31. Jacob is retelling the story to his wives. He's telling his wives, verse 10, well, first look at verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock, and he said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable to me. You think? (laughs) Your dad is sore that I took all of his flocks and herds. He says, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I've served your father, yet your father has deceived me, gave me the wrong wife, and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. You see that? He deceived me, but God did not allow it to harm me. He gave me the shaft, but God did not allow it to bring me any harm. 
The thing you got to remember is that whenever people do you wrong, God's not going to allow it to harm you. Your boss can demote you. I want you to go home and say, God won't allow it to harm me. People can cheat you. You got to go home and say, God will not allow it to harm me. You can deceive me and you can rob me, whatever you want to do. My God is with me and he will not allow it to harm me. You got to keep that in your mind. Watch this. Verse 8. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Verse 10. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived. Listen, here is the point. Here is the moral to the story. This is why Jacob knew. He said, and it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see. You see what Jacob is saying? He's saying, I was so mad that Laban was robbing me and he was going to send me away with nothing. I worked for him for 14 years. I served him with all my might. I did nothing but good for him and nothing but bad was coming to me. But in the midst of that time of discouragement and hopelessness, when it felt like nothing was coming my way, God came to me in a dream and said, Jacob, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Get your eyes up above that problem. Lift your eyes up above. I know it seems like nothing's going your way, but take your eyes off that circumstance. Lift up your eyes, Jacob. Lift up your eyes. God said, lift up your eyes now and see. All the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Then God says this in verse 13. Listen, I am the God of Bethel. What's Bethel? What is, but where is it for Jacob? It's that rock in the desert. God says, I'm the God of Bethel. Remember, I'm the God that came to you in the desert and made you a promise. Why do you think Laban is powerful enough to negate my promise? Get your eyes off of the circumstance and get it back on the promise. I'm the God of Bethel. Remember, I'm the God that visited you in the desert. I'm the God that walked with you. I'm the God that came to you in your worst situation and flipped the script on it. Lift up your eyes. Lift, and that's the word of the Lord to you tonight. Lift up your eyes. You're looking too low. He says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar. Remember when he came to him at Bethel, he said, I'm the God of Abraham. Now he says, I'm the God of Bethel. When he came to him at first, he said, I'm the God that came to your fathers. But now he comes back and says, I'm the God that came to you. I'm the one who has walked with you. I'm the one who made you a promise. You know, in your early days of maturation in your faith, God reminds you of what he said to the fathers. But when you begin to grow up, he reminds you of what he said to you. And in this next season, God's coming back to you and saying, I made you some promises. I said some stuff to you. It's not just your fathers who can hear from God. You can hear from God. Are you hearing me? He says, now arise. Get out of this land and return to the land 
of your family. Mm. God wants to lift up our eyes tonight. He wants to lift up our eyes. He wants to restore our humanity. He wants to take us to the place where, like Adam, we are more conscious of God than we are of this physical world where we only see the world as the place where we serve God, but we see God as the place where we live. It was Moses that said, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or the seas were made, yea, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He says, you are our home before the earth was, was our home. It was, and the New Testament writer said that we are strangers and aliens here in the world. We are not citizens of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our native tongue is the is the language of heaven. That is the place where we live. This is the place where we serve God. But we got to lift up our eyes to a higher place. We're looking too low. We're looking to our circumstances instead of looking to our God. And God wants us to lift up our eyes so that we begin to see him who is invisible. What God specifically wants you to know today is that you can hear from him directly. God speaks to you. God speaks to you, but you've got to start believing that. Because most of us think that we are such sorry excuses for Christians that we can't hear anything from God. And that is the lie of the devil. My daughter Alethea was able to hear my voice before she was able to understand what it meant, but she could still hear it. From the moment she came out of the womb, maybe we're maturing in our ability to understand what we hear, but even a little child who knows him can hear him. You can hear God's voice, but you got to wake up in the morning believing it. God, whatever I go through today, I'm going to hear your voice. The prophet said, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. If I come to a fork in the road, God's going to whisper in my ear and say, this is the way, walk in it. What God wants to do is take away your fear, your fear of going the wrong way, your fear of doing the wrong thing, your fear of not knowing what to do, your fear of being stuck and being trapped and not having the wisdom to fix it. God says, I've got the wisdom him to fix it. I'm with you, but you've got to believe it. God wants you to wake up in the morning declaring it. You can hear from God, but you got to lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. I don't care what's happening in your situation. Sometimes what's happening in your situation is the enemy's way of flipping the script to make it seem like the opposite of what God is doing in your life is real. The scripture says that the moment David was crowned king of Israel, the Philistines came against him in full force. They came and challenged his rule the moment he was established in it. Why? Because at the moment God said, you are strong, the devil came to say, you're weak. When Moses was born in Egypt, the deliverer was born. But at that very time, the king of Egypt sent out an edict edict that the firstborn of Israel should be killed. At the moment God said, the deliverer has come into the world, Satan said, no, death has come to Israel. Same thing when Jesus was a baby. Salvation had been born and come into the world, but the devil wanted to make make it look like death had come into the world because Herod said, kill all the firstborn of Israel. And every time you have, have come to another level where God's taken you to a greater level of authority and victory, at that very time, Satan does something to turn your eyes away from it, to distract you, to get you looking at what Herod is doing and what Pharaoh is doing, to get you looking at what Laban is doing and, and get you looking at what the world is doing and you can't see what God is doing anymore. And the word of the Lord is lift up your eyes. 
lift up your eyes now. You're looking at what Lot has taken from you, and God says, lift up your eyes now. What Lot has taken from you is nothing compared to what I'm giving to you. I'm giving you everything that Lot thinks is his, it's yours. Everything that is north, south, east, and west, it's yours. Walk the length of it. And God said, Abraham, I want you to walk the length of it. Walk it. I want you to put some footprints in the promised land. I want you to declare it before you possess it. I want you to walk it and say, this is mine. When you don't have a title deed and you don't have any sign in the natural that it's yours, but you say it's mine. Because whatever things you ask for when you pray, believe that you have received them and you shall have them. Amen. Amen. You're going to believe specifically for your businesses. The Lord has been stirring my heart today for your businesses. For God wants to prosper you financially, but many of you are in businesses where you feel like they're failing and they're not producing what you think they're going to produce, and God wants you to press on. God wants you to stay on the boat. God wants you to believe. God wants you to push it to another level. He's going to make you prosperous, but you've got to believe it. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe it. Aurora, I just sense in this next season that God is opening a door for your family, a financial door that you cannot see right now. There's a business opportunity that he's going to show you. He's going to highlight it in the spirit. It's going to bring about not only the needed provision, but God is going to bless you with abundance because you have been faithful to sow into his work. You have been faithful to sow. Even in your lack, you have sown. And God has seen. God has seen your heart. And he's seen your heart. He's seen what you have done. And God says, now you're going to see what I'm about to do. Amen. Amen. Chris, the word of the Lord is coming to you tonight, and he's saying, I'm taking away fear from your heart. I'm taking away fear from your heart. While we were worshiping, I saw you walking, and suddenly there was nothing but bones. It was just a skeleton in Chris's head, and I thought, what is this? And all the guts were missing, and God says, I'm giving you guts in this next season. God is giving you a spirit of courage. And you're not going to know fear anymore. You're not even going to know what it feels like to fear. Fear is going to be a strange and foreign thing to you. People are going to share with you and say, I'm so afraid. And you're going to say, I remember what that was like. But it was so long ago. And God has given you courage. He's given you boldness. He's given you power. He's given you the ability to stand tall and to walk. You're not going to be afraid anymore. You're not going to be afraid anymore. Amen. Amen. And sister, I just sense the word of the Lord coming to you tonight that the enemy has tried to put an L over your head and call you a loser. But God reverses it. He flips the script. God says that you cannot fail. And that's the word of the Lord to you tonight, that you cannot fail, that you're like the righteous man in Psalm chapter one. It says that you will bring forth fruit in your season, but your leaf will not wither. And whatever you do will prosper because you love the word of the Lord. And every place in your life where you think you're a failure, God says there's no failure in you. And I just hear the word of the Lord saying, I have no no contention with you. God says, I've got no contention. There's nothing in you that displeases me because I have made you my pleasure and I've caused you to please me. And so that's the word of the Lord to you tonight. You cannot fail in everything you do. Amen. 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 And Manuel, right? Miguel, sorry. (laughs) Miguel. The word of the Lord is coming to you tonight that God is taking the broken pieces of your life and putting them back together again. But when he puts it back together again, the picture is going to be different than when you saw it before. That is, the picture that broke is not the picture he's putting back together again. It's a bigger picture. I see a bigger picture. And, and, and the things shattered on the floor, and you look down and you said, wait a minute, it looks like there's more puzzle pieces than in the last picture. It's because the moment you dropped it, God threw down about 400 more pieces to that puzzle. 
He added his pieces with your pieces. And when you put it back together, it's going to be God's pieces and your pieces. They're going to become one puzzle together. And the picture is bigger. And so God says, I don't want you to dwell on the small things and on the low things. I want you to lift up your eyes higher because there are things that you're capable of that you don't think you're capable of. But God has empowered you beyond your understanding. God has anointed you beyond your understanding. You're just hoping that God will put your life fully back together again. You're looking at areas in your life and saying, God, can you fix this? And can you fix this? And can you fix this? And God is saying, that is too small for me. That is too easy for me. Not only am I going to put you fully back together again, but I'm going to send you around. And I see you putting pieces together in other people's lives and fixing other people's puzzles. And other people's pictures are bigger pictures because your picture is the bigger picture. And so God says, never forget the bigger picture. God wants you to look to the bigger picture. Even if there's pieces that don't seem to fit, it's a part of a bigger picture. It's a, And even problems that persist that you say, God, I know you're not pleased with this. God says, don't worry. There's a bigger picture than even your present struggles and your present trials. And the bigger picture is going to overwhelm every little piece of the smaller picture. And so God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's the word of the Lord tonight. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Come on. I'm trying to get you to lift up your eyes through the prophetic word tonight. That's what the prophetic word does. It shines like a light in the darkness until the day dawns and the morning star appears in your heart. And Jermaine, Jermaine, there is a rebirth of passion coming to your life. The enemy, the enemy has stretched out his hand to steal your spiritual fervor. And he's done so by trying to convince you that you lack things. He's done so by trying to convince you, look, you've served the Lord and nothing has come of it. What have I gotten from it? What has come of it? What has come of it? And God says, you can't even see what's come of it because it's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And it is reserved in heaven for you. God says, you have riches beyond your wildest imagination. But now now God is restoring your spiritual fervor. He's restoring your passion. Your heart is going to begin to burn again, but he wants to remove the lament from your heart. He wants to remove the cry from your eyes, that lie from the devil that says you lack. And even the devil has lied to you about certain things you felt called to in the past and said, has God really said this? Did God really call you to this? Well, how did he call you if he didn't gift you for that? That's a lie of the devil. That calling of God on your life is real and it's true and he has not forgotten it. He has not changed it his mind. He's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Amen. Amen. Everybody stand to your feet, lift your hands to heaven and just begin to talk to the Lord right now. Jesus, lift up your eyes. Just let him lift up your eyes right now. Just let him lift up your eyes. Father, lift up our eyes. God, we lift up our eyes right now. We will look above and not beneath. We will look above. Lord, we look to you tonight. We look to you tonight. We're not looking at our circumstances anymore. We're not looking at our situations anymore. We're not looking at our trials anymore. Lord, the scripture says the eyes of all men look to you and you give them their food at the appointed time. We look to you tonight. As the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress, as the eyes of a slave look to the hand of his master, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. Come on, right now, open your mouth and just begin to declare it. Just begin to declare it. I'm looking above and not beneath. Lift up your eyes now. Lift up your eyes now. Begin to declare it. God, thank you that you speak to me. I'm refuting that lie that says you can't hear from the Lord. I'm refuting that lie. I'm silencing that lie. You can hear from God clearly. You're going to begin to declare from this very night. God said to me, God spoke to me. Some of you are going to go home and tell your spouses, God spoke to me tonight. 
This is what he said. You're going to tell your children, God spoke to me tonight. You're going to call people and say, God told me to call you. No more fear. No more timidity. That small-mindedness that says, God wouldn't speak to me. I'm not important enough. That's a lie of the devil. You're a child of God. Come on, begin to declare it. Father, right now, I speak encouragement. In the name of Jesus, I stir up the hearts and minds of each and every one of these brothers and sisters of mine. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I break every power of discouragement. I break it, 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 I break it. I break it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And I speak supernatural encouragement. Supernatural encouragement. Supernatural encouragement. Take courage. If you're going to be courageous, you got to take courage. You got to take it. You got to take it. You got to take it. Take courage right now. Take it in the name of Jesus. Take it. Reach out your hand and take it. Let your faith lay hold of it. I take courage. Stop waiting for courage to happen to you and take it in Jesus' name. I speak blessing over your life. I speak blessing over your life. Breakthrough and blessing right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for it. I thank you for it. I give you the glory for it. I give you the glory for it in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Now, come on, just begin to thank him right now. Just begin to thank him. Just begin to thank him. You know what fear, anxiety, and discouragement are? It's unthankfulness. Fear, anxiety, and discouragement are unthankfulness. We become unthankful. The easiest way to move into the place of faith is just to begin to thank the Lord. Just begin to thank him. Just begin to thank him. Just begin to thank him for whatever it is. If you're struggling to believe that you hear God's voice, begin to thank him. God, thank you that I hear your voice. Thank you that I hear your voice. Why don't you just begin to thank him right now for whatever it is you think you need. Just thank him for it. If you think you need money, thank him for money. If you need a new job, thank him for that new job. If you need direction, thank him for direction. Whatever you need. If you need a husband, thank him for that husband. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. God, I thank you for this house. I thank you for each and every one. I thank you for each and every one. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your peace, your power. I give you all the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah.